This episode of Ghost Stories is brought to you by Easy Equities. I was asked to interview a JSC CEO who I believe has an interesting story to tell and who has clearly made an impact in the market. Roy Bagatini has led a significant turnaround at Woolworths and now faces a great challenge in the form of ESCOM's load shedding, something we all know and certainly hate rather than love. But Roy's outlook on this country is bullish and he is here every day building a business that he believes is capable of withstanding these challenges. There is much to learn from this for all of us. Welcome to Ghost Stories and thank you to Easy Equities for making this episode possible. Welcome to another episode of Ghost Stories. I'm sitting here for a change outside of home, not doing this one online, so that's quite exciting. I've been offered a nice mix of sparkling water and still water and cashew nuts, and that gives you maybe a little bit of a hint of which office I may well be sitting in today. But Roy Bagatini from Woolworths, the CEO, thank you so much for making time it's today. I really enjoy chatting to you. This is not the first time, although it's the first time we've done a podcast. The last time I was writing an article for the Financial Mail, and I must say it was really great to be able to engage with you and just learn from you. Mm. We can made for a much better article, so thank you for making the time. No, it's an absolute pleasure. Interim results are out. You've been very busy getting hounded, I'm sure, by sell-side analysts. It's quite nice when your interim dividend has nearly doubled. Mm. I'm sure you've had a lot of questions and a lot of people who mm. want to know what's going on in the business. So hopefully this will be a, a nice break from some of the more hectic conversations and we can get into more about the business. I look forward to it, thank you. But congrats, thank clearly you. your presence has been felt here and I'm sure the whole team is mm. is making this happen. Now obviously, I mean, a massive team, uh, team effort uh, from 30,000 people uh, you know, across the business net net collectively contributing to the outcome. But we're really pleased with the progress that we're making. Yeah, well done, it's fantastic. You've had a big impact. I will say this, as someone who's worked a little bit in retail before and obviously observed the industry for a long time, this is one of the industries where the CEO makes a big difference. Mm. Uh, a lot of industries, they don't really, sorry if you're listening to this and you're a CEO, of course it makes a difference, but it's not this big impact. But I think in retail, you really have the ability to drive the strategy in a particular direction that you want to take it. And I, I actually went to Woolworths to go and do some clothes shopping, which is something I've not done in a very long time. So maybe that says something. Actually found something I really liked, which I also haven't done in a very long time. So that also says something. And I was quite impressed to see a little Levi's kind of store within store kiosk. I'm going to get the terminology wrong. And that can't be a coincidence, right? <laughs> no, no, it isn't. In fact, as we uh, think about our clothing strategy, I mean, one of the things we've done is really uh, focused our, our efforts behind only a few big categories. One of the big categories is denim. Mm. And we believe that if we want to be an authority in denim or a place people come to buy jeans, you need to have an offering that actually appeals to most people's tastes and preferences. And so having Levi's and, and potentially a guess and, and obviously our own brand in there really makes it quite compelling if you're coming for a pair of jeans. You know, I'd be surprised if you genuinely want to buy a pair of jeans and you come to Woolworths, uh, I'm sure you're going to work out with a, with a pair. We should be able to meet your need there. And you'll be pleased that I actually bought a T-shirt, and it was an RE T-shirt, not a not even oh, Levi's. So yeah, that yeah. was impressive. The assortment's it's looking a lot better, I must yeah, say. Yeah. And obviously, the reason I raise Levi's is that is your background before you came into this role. Now we've chatted about this before. It mm. was in the FM article, but that was months ago. I think for someone coming into this podcast, just wanting to learn more about Woolworths and what is happening here that's driving these results, mm. if you could just spend a couple of minutes on your background. And also just what brought you back here. Mm. You know, South Africa mm. is, is the land of com people complaining and in many cases with reason. Mm. But there's also a lot of people who sit down and just get the job done and see the opportunity. And mm. I think people need to hear more of that narrative mm. and less of just how terrible everything is actually. Yes, no, I think if you listen to all the noise out there, it's it's quite easy to, to sort of be pretty disillusioned and uh, and one's outlook uh, you know, is obviously shaped by that. 
but within that, clearly, there's always opportunity and many silver linings. I mean, we saw that through COVID. Uh, you know, initially lots of doom and gloom, but massive opportunities popping up for for everyone across across the patch. Uh, now, I mean, for me, I think also coming back to South Africa, having been out for uh, roughly just over 20 years now, uh, working and living in, in in many markets across across the globe, from India and China and Russia all the way through to the U.S., Italy, etc. Uh, you know, one certainly learns to appreciate uh, what it's like living and working in different and diverse cultures and. And, and countries in different businesses at different life cycles. But there was always an appeal and attraction in a way to come back home. And uh, certainly, uh, you know, it's, it, it hasn't gone sort of unnoticed from me that you're in a familiar environment. Uh, you know, your sense of humor is more or less understood in the way you intend it to be understood. Um, and, and people can relate to what you say uh, without you having to overly explain it. So that's been, uh, been, been really appealing, coming back home in a way. But um, I think South Africa, has uh, you know some of its own unique challenges and opportunities uh, and 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 certainly running a business in that context and certainly leading a business like Woolworths which is iconic it is 90 years old it's got heritage it's got history um, yeah it's got a sense of purpose uh, you know and it is in a way for me a little bit of a cause uh, and I certainly uh, you know am absolutely inspired to be be doing what I'm doing today, given what has gone before me and the sense of responsibility I have to sort of ensure that, you know, we end up in a better place uh, than what the business was in when, when, when I arrived here. So lots of challenges internally, um, working through it uh, slowly, but uh, very pleased with the results uh, that, 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 that are starting to be put on the board. Yeah, as you should be. I think Woolworths has done its bit in fighting mm. immigration because I think a lot of people have looked at this and gone, well, we could mm. move there, but there's mm. no Woolworths. Yeah, that's a great point you raise. I mean, having lived and worked, as I said, in many countries, uh, you, you know, and South Africans now, you can find them in, in the most remote and desolate mm -hmm. corners of the world. Uh, but certainly when you come across South Africans out there and, uh, and you talk to them about uh, South Africa and, and, and home, you know, there's many things they do miss about the country. Um, but the one thing that is certainly consistent and common is Woolworths and, and particularly the foods brand. And, uh, and you're right, people uh, uh, you know, often wouldn't mind moving to a place if there was, in fact, an offering similar to Woolworths. Yeah, definitely. But you also talked to that familiarity of that business environment and just the way people talk and act and think. And it's something someone asked me probably a couple of weeks ago was, could I build the finance go somewhere else in the world? And I think the answer is no, mm -hmm. because you need to understand what resonates with South Africans. This morning's ghost mail was all about puts at gym. Like, I can't write that anywhere yeah, else. Firstly, exactly. no one will understand it. Yeah. And secondly, I wouldn't yeah. even know what is and isn't appropriate and where the line is. So I can imagine coming home and being in that business environment, but bringing those learnings from other countries must have been a, a good experience overall. No, absolutely. There's so much that you do learn as you go through your career. And, and I think what is um, a, a challenge for leadership, a challenge for management, is being able to interpret those into, into things that, that are relevant to the context you then find yourself in. But you know, on this point of familiarity, I mean, uh, you know, I think you know, we, all, we all take our work really seriously. And, uh, and certainly retail, as you pointed out, you know, is, is, is all about doing a lot of the small things consistently right. Um, and uh, we, we, we think what we're doing is the most important thing in the world. But at the end of the day, we're running a business and, it's, uh, and it is serious and we take it very seriously. But you can't do well unless you also have fun along the way. And one sense of humor and the ability to use it, uh, particularly when, when the chips are down and the stress is up, you know, uh, is important. And uh, there's no, no place like South Africa that resonates with a South African sense of humor. So that's, uh, that's certainly one of the reasons why it's such a pleasure to be here. So 
you know, we talk about familiarity in this market and a shared love of South Africa, and that's all absolutely real. But a big issue at the moment being faced by retailers, clearly, is load shedding. I mean, mm. you don't even have to read sense to know that. You just have to mm. exist in South Africa and you know it. And I would imagine for Woolworths, you know, the cold chain is where the rubber really hits the road. So what I've obviously noticed is, you know, if you have a cold chain, then your energy needs are obviously much higher mm. than if you're just selling clothing on the shelf. And at Woolworths, the cold chain is, is very cold. <laughs> you know, pointing out in ghost mail a few times now, if, you, if, you got, if it's a hot day, go to Woolworths because, you know, <laughs> the store is always cold, the stuff lasts forever, it really does. So that must be top of mind, surely, for you as a business right now. Yes, I mean, I mentioned some of the unique challenges South Africa has and, and certainly doing business in South Africa has. There's no uh, shortage of obstacle courses you have to sort of run through and the latest one is the load shedding obstacle course. Um, it has it has presented a lot of challenge for business, but ultimately the customers too. Our customers are equally grappling with what to do in this particular context. Importantly, our supplier base as well. I mean, you know, we often talk about the retailers uh, and the impact on retail, but um, in our case, where our suppliers are very integrated with our business, um, you know, if if they don't do well in this context, we don't end up doing well. So we end up really partnering very closely with our suppliers you know, on a range of different levels, on the financial level in supporting, particularly our smaller suppliers who are under significant stresses, financial stresses, cash flow pressures, uh, and we're having to, to, to enable them and support them because if they're not successful, we won't be successful. But that also drives a really interesting operational synergy between ourselves and our suppliers, which enable us to overcome some of the challenges that load shedding does present retailers. But your point about the cold chain is, is quite critical. I mean, we're you know, this food business of ours is built on its quality proposition, and that remains super sacrosanct for us. There's nothing we're going to do that's going to compromise that. Um, and, uh, you know, we talk about the cold chain, and in fact, when we think about alternative energy supply, Woolworths, because of its cold chain commitment and quality commitment, has invested in alternative energy supply from 1998 already. So all our stores are, in fact, equipped with generators, and wherever we can, we're already uh, running um, stores off renewable energies as well. Certainly our distribution centers, more than half of the energy requirements there are, are coming from renewables. But really to, to protect the cold chain, it's been important. And you know in our context, uh, if any of our products are out of the cold chain for longer than eight consecutive minutes, we declare them unfit for sale. Um, and then we take them and we actually accelerate them into our distribution network uh, to make sure they get to the food charities, the food banks that we support uh, quickly. So that's something we continually drive. But it does bring a cost to the business because you end up having to declare waste, food waste, and, and that's always something that we're trying to manage. But Coltrane, absolutely sacrosanct. And we know, um, and I might you know, just say this somewhat tongue-in-cheek, but when you compare our product to others in the market and uh, you know, the, the impact of the Coltrane becomes very discernible very, very quickly. Yeah, I must be honest, you know, I've played around with obviously different mm. grocers in the market and, you know, we've talked about this before when 6060 mm. came mm. in, they did such a good job, but the Woolworths quality, I'm not just saying mm. this, it is mm. different. Mm. So eight consecutive minutes and it's gone. Obviously that doesn't, I mean, how does that work in the context of, you know, putting it in the back of a scooter? I mean, that obviously is not part of the eight consecutive minutes, but how do you think about that in a delivery context? So if you actually examine a little bit more closely the, uh, the back end of a scooter, the Woolworths dash, in fact, it is part of the cold chain. Okay. So we've actually secured those particular boxes on the back of those scooters with uh, you know, chilled metal plates. So that in fact, if you buy an ice cream through the Dash app, 
uh, it gets to your house in the form of an ice cream and not in the form of a milkshake, uh, which typically can happen in the context of our weather and so on. So yes. no, the cold chain and the continuous cold chain remains intact. That's brilliant. So if you are taking your Woolworths stuff home and you're not putting it in the fridge straight away, you are wasting a lot of effort <laughs> <laughs> that goes right. on behind the you scenes. Know, it, it is interesting because uh, you know, when we talk about quality, um, we sort of say quality is indivisible. You know, and, and that's exactly right. I mean, you know, you can't um, have a great logistics system, but if you haven't grown the product in a quality way, if you haven't taken the appropriate care around the water, the soil that you use, and when it comes to harvesting, the way you pick and then the way you pack and then the way you sort of dispatch and distribute your product, all of those elements are critical and they're not divisible from a quality perspective. Any one of those going out of sync basically impacts quality. So sustaining quality throughout the value chain uh, is 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 really the underpin of this uh, of this proposition of quality that we have might not be something you're willing to talk about publicly because this is public obviously ultimately but I would think stuff like holding back some stock at the DC that has the sort of renewable energy support maybe versus it potentially going off in the stores I mean these are some of the things that you must have thought about as part of just minimizing mm -hmm. waste over this period, I can imagine online orders maybe being fulfilled from a warehouse somewhere that mm. is backed up mm. by solar as opposed to the fridges at your friendly local shopping center. I mean, is it sort mm. of, I suppose, replenishment in the stores? Is that something, one of the strategies you can use here to minimize some of the risk? Yes, in fact, uh, you know, I think if we if we take a look at uh, the last several months uh, as load shedding has, has deteriorated or got worse, uh, you know, across the patch, I mean, we've try to get better and better at ensuring that our stores are in fact, you know, you, you have availability when you walk into the store, you know, the shelves are still full. So firstly, first and foremost is keeping the stores operational, uh, keeping them up and running and making sure that even although the center might be, you know, down with the electricity, the Woolworths store is operational is first and foremost been important. And then secondly is making sure that there's product in the stores. But what, what, uh, what that requires is a very sophisticated back-end capability um, of planning and allocating you know, and synchronizing production with demand, which, is, which gets very complicated and we use all sorts of technologies and machine learning and AI to now continually drive that process. But that is pivotal, including some of the, the, the method, methods you're talking about in terms of how you sort of you know, batch and supply and what you supply and when you supply it. Uh, all of that comes together in, in ultimately what uh, you know, what you see in a Woolworths store. And does it help that the food stores are sometimes smaller than a lot of the supermarkets of competitors mm. and it's just a smaller space? Yeah, it is a smaller space. So one would expect that that's going to be a little bit more e easier and efficient to run. What's quite interesting for us, though, is that many of our food stores, or some are standalone, but some are linked in with uh, one of our fashion or our clothing stores. And so whilst you keep the food store going, the clothing store also operates. And that's actually been an interesting differentiator in the market because many of the fashion competitors are typically have smaller footprints and don't have their own, own backup capabilities. So we've been able to leverage off the food capability to keep driving our, our clothing stores at the same time. Yeah, I mean, some of your clothing competitors were seriously caught mm -hmm. napping. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, I, I've written enough about who that is, but at the end of last year, really, really caught mm -hmm. napping on this whole issue and sort of blaming everything in the world but, but taking responsibility for this. Load shedding is not new. Mm -hmm. you know, and if, if it shocked you last mm -hmm. year that load shedding is here, then I don't know where people have been for years. Yes. No, no, and I mean, the way, the way we're looking at it is that it isn't going away soon either, right? Mm. So you really have to come up with specific strategies and workarounds to offset the impact. Uh, it's just the new normal from, a, from an energy uh, supply perspective. Absolutely, and something else just on the food business that I just want to touch on. The last few results, I think it's been a case of food inflation is running hotter than mm. the pricing increases inside Woolworths Food, which actually means Woolworths Food is becoming more competitive on price. 
than it has maybe been in several years gone right. by. I've noticed that mm. as a consumer. That's mm. obviously a deliberate strategy. Mm. It does feel like Woolworths is kind of, I mean, I'm sure competitive forces are part of why you've needed to do that, but it does feel a bit more competitive mm. overall, actually, mm. but without sacrificing quality. Mm. It sounds like I'm being paid to say that. I'm genuinely mm. not. Mm. That's mm. my experience as a mm. consumer is it has become more competitive. So, I mean, accessibility is the way we like to talk about it, is bringing uh, our product in, you know, to, to, to within access of, of our customer base. Uh, when we invest in price, and we've sort of declared a 750 million rand investment in price, it is very targeted, and it's based on a particular product within a specific category. And the intent of that is to actually bring more customers into that particular product or category. Uh, and so we continue to do that. So of the 750 million that I was referring to, uh, we've probably invested about 450 million already. And that has brought certain prices into a more of a, an accessible range for our, for our customers. So yes, there are market forces, but we are not a brand that would compete on price. We never lead with price. Uh, price is not what this business is built on. It is built on something that I call the holy grail of food retailing. And that is making sure we have the best offering for the customer. And when I say best offering, I mean the best product, the levels of innovation, the convenience, the service, the experience, all coming together for the customer on the one hand. And there's a sweet spot between that and ensuring that shareholders on the other hand get the best return out of the business. And our returns on capital are the highest in the industry, but by a long, long way. And so that holy grail of food retailing, which many food retailers just never really get to, is really what this brand is all about. That's the DNA of the food business. We're not a price uh, price leader. We're not a mass market retailer from that perspective. This is a premium, premium food business and will always be that. Yeah, absolutely. And I wanted to ask you around consumer changes in behavior linked to load mm. shedding, but also linked to people going back to the office. Mm. What trends are you seeing in online versus in-store? Because a lot of what I've been seeing is that foot, foot count has recovered in a lot of the malls. Because of inflation, turnover is often a lot higher now than it was in sort of 2019. But my sense is people are still using online mm. quite strongly as well. And load shedding makes it quite a hack to get in your car, sit through seven robots that are out, go park somewhere. What are you seeing in terms of consumer preferences? Yes, we're certainly seeing customers coming into our stores more frequently, in fact, but they're buying less when they come in. So the basket size uh, is a little smaller. Uh, and we don't mind that. In fact, we like it when customers come into our stores uh, because they have the opportunity of seeing what else we've got on, uh, out there. You know, we do a fair amount of innovation in the food space, uh, you know, almost 15 to 20% of revenue every year is driven by innovation, new products or products that have been re-engineered or refurbished in a sense. And so, um, you know, we like customers coming into our store. But the reality of convenience, which is a big driver of where customers are shopping today, is also something one has to respond to. So things like online, and particularly the on-demand dash type model, uh, need to be relevant. There needs to be, again, when I talk about the holy grail, the best proposition, we need to have the best online sort of service for that and, and certainly load shedding is enabling further growth overall growth on on the online in the online channel depending on what category you're talking about but is sort of moderating it's not sort of accelerating at those exponential rates that we saw through COVID and so on and certainly load shedding is supporting some of that growth our online business our dash business grew by over 150 percent in the first six months but it's off a very very small base uh, but we expect that to continue to grow as we continue to make it easier for customers to use it 
but again, we're encouraging through different levers, levers to get customers back into back into stores. Yeah, you want them in the store, right? I always say to people, the best budgeting tool is to just buy your groceries online. Because mm. the more mm. you walk around the store, the more tempted you are to try that latest chocolate and buy flowers for someone. Yeah. <laughs> no, that's, that, that's really interesting because, I mean, we do all sorts of research and, and, and analyses, et cetera, using all the data that we have. Uh, and it can be as much as 20% of the ticket price, the ultimate price you pay going out the door is incremental yeah. to what you intended to buy before you walked I can the totally store. get that, and especially at Woolworths. Mm. It's the organic cupcakes yes. that are yes. tempting you yeah. on the way through, or, yeah. or whatever or whatever the case, uh, you know, whatever the case may be. And I suppose as a retailer, you're not upset to see some moderation in online growth because the reason I love online is my petrol expense, mm. my time to drive there, my mm. time to walk around the store becomes your problem mm. in exchange for a very modest delivery fee. Yes. So thank you very much. Yeah. The economics sit with no, it's you, my gain, right? You're touching on a, a pretty <laughs> sensitive point in a way because um you mean online you don't make money out of online yeah um you know it uh, it isn't uh, it isn't sort of earnings accretive as as we say when we talk to our analysts and and shareholders uh you can imagine i mean you know when you're putting a limited number of articles into the back of a scooter and all the costs involved with getting it to that point you know there's not enough margin to go around to cover those those particular costs that's why retailers like us and others are are sort of um, creating uh, these um, these concepts called dark stores, which is really a dedicated center specifically designed for fulfilling online demand. We've just opened one up here in Cape Town in the last couple. And of weeks. And this has nothing to do with ESCOM, this yeah. dark stores concept. No, eh? not, this is, this is a separate separate thing. It's, when we say dark, it means that no customers <laughs> access the store. But it's it's laid es- out. ESCOM's been doing dark stores for months now. <laughs> no, you're right. Yeah, we should think of calling it somewhat something different. But it is a dedicated supply center for online demand, uh, and and through that process, you minimize a lot of the incremental costs and yeah. consequently improve the profitability yeah. of the concept. I can understand that. And just last question on online. I would imagine that a lot of the clothing stuff, the economics are a little bit better online because mm-hmm. your margin's a lot better, right? Yes. You make far more on a pair of jeans and a T-shirt in percentage mm-hmm. terms than you do on bread mm-hmm. and milk. That's true. I mean, the margins are healthier, and there you do make you, you do make money. But increasingly, one needs to think of the total ecosystem because a lot of online clothing shopping comes back uh, as mm-hmm. well, and there's a cost of the return that often isn't built into the economic equation here. So one has to keep an eye on that. Yes, online is not easy. I tell you what, let's flick across the pond now to Australia. So that's where we're David Jones is nearly out of the system for you. Um, you're keeping Country Road, and, and that's obviously been a, a decision that you've thought a lot about. Genuinely, why do you believe Country Road can win in a way that David Jones could not? Now, it's been interesting because Country Road uh, is increasingly becoming a bigger part of the group. Uh, and, and that's sort of been in the shadow of David Jones. I mean, you can appreciate that when you had as much of a challenge with a business like David Jones, it got a disproportionate focus, share of investment, et cetera, et cetera. So without that uh, in the picture, um, it gives us the opportunity to really double down on the country road business, which is a really solid business. It's a great business. It has you know, a lot of iconic Australian lifestyle brands, which we would probably expand from an overall brand portfolio perspective. So it has a lot of runway for growth inside you know, inside Australia as well as outside of Australia. It's got a great management team. It's got great back-end capabilities. It is one of the leading what we call omni-channel, which is multi-channel. You can shop online or in stores simultaneously and seamlessly. Um, so it is. it really is set up for much more significant opportunity going forward. And we do see that becoming a bigger part of the group. I can understand that fully. Any other geographical expansion plans? I mean, I know Pepco going yeah. to South America. Is there a yeah. Woolworths Brazil coming? Yeah. 
No, I can, I can, I can sort of emphatically say no. Um, no, we, I mean, our focus is really doubling down on, on South Africa. Africa is really where that's our home turf. We know these markets well, we know these customers well, and we know our capabilities well in this particular context. Uh, we also, um, you know, have frankly um, underinvested in our South African businesses over the last several years. And so this gives us an opportunity to really refocus our investment and our wherewithal um, yeah, back onto the business that we, we know earn a better return for us and for our shareholders at the end of the day. Now, when I wrote about your interims in Ghostman, I think the point I made was it can't come a moment too soon to not have to worry about mm. David Jones mm. anymore because you need to focus here. Like South yes. Africa is difficult at the moment. <laughs> you no, know. you're right. I mean, I must be honest as well. I mean, when I think of my day uh, and the amount of time I spend, you know, I have spent on David Jones, uh, you know, versus, you know, I'm going to have this excess capacity and I'm now going to be able to deploy it behind things that I really want to focus on. But um, I'm really pleased that we've got to where we are with David Jones. It's been a you know, very painful journey, uh, euphemistically said. Uh, <laughs> yeah. It's the nicest, journey. most family-friendly word uh, you could think of for this no, particular it's t- podcast. It's, it's been tough. And, um, <laughs> but, uh, you know, we set out with a plan a couple of years ago uh, to, to get the balance sheet sorted, to sort out the... Uh, you know, all the you know the profitability of the business we've now done that and and that's given us the opportunity to to, to essentially sell it and uh, and and uh, you know when 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 all is said and done you know it's going to be for a value accretive sort of uh, outcome uh, and uh, and as I say more important than anything else is the wherewithal the management bandwidth that we now create uh, for the rest of the business absolutely something else about South Africa that I'd like to ask you as we start to wrap this up is you know trading space in the fashion beauty home side mm. you've been rationalizing you've almost shrunk into a better business in some respects yes food business still growing mm. um, is that likely to continue do you think yes I mean so when we look at space across both those businesses um, you know on the fashion side um, we have you know it wasn't uh, it wouldn't have taken a rocket scientist to come in here and say listen I think you've got too much space or space that's totally unproductive uh, so we declared a target and we've gone after that target of actually coming out of space on the fashion side. That started to slow. As our products began to work, as the stores have begun to work, we're going to limit uh, the extent to which we come out. And we're also now augmenting space by going out with a new concept called WEdit, which is a much smaller format Woolworth store. Uh, it has a, 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 a limited scope, a limited range of product. It's the same product at the same price, but on a much smaller scale. And we're able to drop these stores into places where historically we would not have put a Woolworth store, giving us access to a new customer that we've not had before. We've opened up eight of those, and I think there's probably 10 times that that we're going to open up over the coming years. But a great agile um, opportunity to to get the Woolworths brand in front of customers that, as I say, typically wouldn't have experienced that before. So space on the on the fashion side will probably continue, but what's important is the productivity of that space. We need to earn more per square meter from a profit perspective than what we are doing historically, and that's the trajectory that business is on. From a food perspective, we are going to continue increasing space. Uh, you know, obviously a lot of our growth comes out of our core businesses and enlarging even some of the existing stores. But there are a number of new concepts that we're going into as well, uh, mainly driven by convenience um, and accessibility too. And on the food services side, we've opened up W Cellar which is a, a liquor store concept, but an elevated liquor store concept. And we've got a couple of those, only a handful of them. They're all constrained by the amount of licenses we can get and how quickly one can get a license. We're going down that track uh, as soon as the licenses come through. So we've got about seven or eight of those now across the country. In addition to that, we've gone into the Now Now model, which is really, a, I guess, a fast food 
Woolworths convenience uh, sort of proposition, which uh, which is really resonating and doing well. And then beyond that, there are a number of other convenience type formats that we'll go into. So you can expect to see space growth continue on the food side by two to three percent a year, at least for the foreseeable future. Brilliant. So there's a few growth engines in there. I'm super mm. conscious of your time. You have a business to run, mm. not much electricity to do it with. So I'm <laughs> going to ask you one more question. Sure. If I shook you awake at night, mm. especially now that David Jones is behind you, mm. what are the two or three things that you are laser focused on for say the next 12 months? Yes, I mean, it's always difficult to narrow it down to just two or three things because there's generally a lot going on. But I think again, it's important to be super focused. Uh, yeah. I mean, for me, um, clearly the load shedding con uh, context is important and particularly the work we're doing with our suppliers uh, to, to drive this integrated supply chain to enable us to navigate this, as I said, this load shedding obstacle course. So that's always something that's in the near term, obviously something that we continue to focus on. But I think when I step back from the business and look at where we're at, um, we have a balance sheet which is really healthy. In fact, it's the best balance sheet we've had in a decade. Um, and it's going to improve, certainly as we offload David Jones and we receive those proceeds. And the challenge for us is, what do you do with this capital? How do you allocate that more efficiently? How do you leverage that balance sheet in a more optimal way? Uh, and, us, and so there are a number of things within that that I think uh, really uh, I worry about um, or am focused on. And then I guess more, more sort of generally, uh, when I step back from the business and look at the, you know, where we're at, an area that I think we need to continually work on and in fact accelerate progress in is around our culture as a company. You know, a lot of the stuff that we're doing, we've re-strategized, we've reset businesses, but sustaining what we're doing really comes back to people and their fundamental orientation. And when we think about the culture of our company, there are several things that we need to focus. In fact, we've called out four things. We call them our four musts, but they are about getting our business to be more externally focused. The customers out there, the world is out there, not inside here. Have less meetings, you know, worry less about talking to each other, with each other, but focus much more externally. So driving our culture more in that, in that direction, importantly. Second to that is our ability to execute. We need to get things done, you know, um, and get them done with a sense of urgency. And thirdly, it's about our share of, uh, I guess, our share of hearts and minds. To what extent are our people genuinely connected to where we're trying to take this business? And what do we do to enable that? Uh, you know, how do we rekindle the competitiveness that's required to win in the space that we're in? We're a really, um, I'd say, caring, concerning, great organization. I, I would like to see a little bit more of a sharper edge to our culture. Uh, and, and that's part of what we talk about in terms of that. And then fourthly, it's just really about leveraging the wherewithal we have as a, as, as a multitude of teams. How do we work together and really drive greater synergies? So culturally is, is a big issue. And for me, when I think ultimately one day of leaving the company and I look back on it, I mean, you know, what is important to me is that we've actually created a culture, a really win, a real winning culture that really can sustain a lot of the good work we're doing today. Yeah, and I think we live in such an in such an interesting period now. And I have to mention this before we sign off. I'm sitting next to this big bear made of leftover COVID masks, which is Correct. the best use for a COVID mask <laughs> I've experienced in the past three years because I hated the things, as did everyone. And it's, uh, you know, it was auctioned off for charity effectively. I think people had to guess how many masks were used. I got it horribly wrong for what it's worth. But I think we've come out of this pandemic now. You know, now there's other challenges, obviously. And I think South Africans just continue to go from one challenge to the next. And we sort of just keep our head down and go. So well done on being an organization that I think 
really gets that right. And before we sign off, I also just want to thank Easy Equities. They are an important partner to Ghostmail. And my mandate was to go and find a JSE-listed company where I wanted to engage with the CEO, have this conversation. So for absolute clarity, this was not a this was not Woolworths approaching me. I approached Woolworths here. Roy, I specifically wanted to chat to you with everything you're busy with in the business. So thank you, Easy Equities, for that support. And just congrats and good luck for the rest of the year. You're obviously doing all the right things. Oh, thank you very much. And yeah, we look forward to ongoing engagements. But, uh, you know, we've got a lot of work ahead of us, uh, but very excited about what, we, what we've set ourselves out to do. But thank you again for your interest. Thank you. Thank you, Roy. Cheers. This episode of Ghost Stories was brought to you by Easy Equities, encouraging you to do your own research in the markets. This podcast should not be seen as an endorsement of Woolworths as an investment by either me, the Finance Ghost, or Easy Equities. Please arrive at your own conclusions, do your own research, and make your own decisions. At the time of the release of this podcast, I do not hold a position in Woolworths.